Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Dirty Steel Toe Boots. This is a podcast by the law firm of Ogletree Deacons. It is a podcast for those that are interested in OSHA inspections, citations, and litigation. Appreciate everybody being back. It's been a little while. We've been focused so much on the emergency temporary standard and all that happened with that. Uh, as many of you followed along on all the guidance and, uh, and information we tried to provide. So it's time to turn our attention back to some inspection activities by OSHA. Take a look at what it looks like now in 2022. I'm joined today by my good friend and colleague, Jaslyn Johnson. She is in our Atlanta office, and she used to be with the solicitor's office. And that's going to be our subject today. We are going to talk about the solicitor the uh, office, we call them solicitors. It is officially called the U.S. Department of Labor Office of the Solicitor. So, Jaslyn, say hi to everybody. Hi, everyone, and thank you, Philip, um, for having me um, on this episode today. Well, let's talk about you before we talk about the solicitor. So, Jaslyn, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. You've been with the firm now, I think, about three years. Is that right? That is right. I've been with Ogletree Deacons for about three years. Um, Like you said, I sit in the Atlanta office um, and I do 100% OSHA. Um, And prior to joining the firm, um, I actually was a trial attorney um, in Region 4 of the solicitor's office, where I also did um, a lot of OSHA work, but also some wage and hour, some ERISA, and a couple different other practice areas. Well, tell us a fun fact about yourself, Jaslyn. My family um, was what I would like to call a cheerleading family uh, when I was growing up. So both my mother and my grandmother were cheerleading coaches, um, and that meant that I started doing cheerleading and gymnastics when I was about three years old, um, and I kept doing it all throughout college. Um, And while I was doing that, I actually learned how to tumble so I can do all kinds of backflips and whatnot, and it's actually a skill that I kept up with over the years. So every now and then on a a Sunday, I I go to a local gym near me, and I um, tumble and do some backflips. And I'm getting kind of worse with it with age as my knees kind of get out on me, but um, I still think I'm pretty good at it. So it seems to me that our next all attorney retreat, whenever we have attorney skill competitions, maybe you should do an entry. I'm thinking. I, I think about it every year and then I don't do it, but maybe next year or the year is, is my year. All right. Well, let me ask you this question. Why are you an OSHA lawyer? What got you into practicing workplace safety and health? Honestly, I kind of fell into it. Uh, I developed an interest for employment and labor law generally in law school, and I ended up applying um, to an honors program in the solicitor's office. Um, And that honors program actually recruits and hires law school graduates. um, And and the purpose is really to expose those graduates to like a broad range of labor and employment laws for about two years. And then it gives them an opportunity to um, take a permanent placement um, with the agency. And so I was accepted into the honors program in Region 4, um, which is Atlanta's uh, solicitor's office. And majority of the work performed in in that region actually comes out of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA. Um, So I got very familiar with OSHA law very fast and ended up loving it. 
I, and I can see that in your practice. I know you've got a real passion for helping employers, you know, have safer places to work. And, you know, it's not just about, as we used to say, fighting OSHA. It's really about holding the agency, holding the government accountable. Uh, and meanwhile, making sure that we do everything we can to help clients make workplaces safer. That's what we all do, no matter what side you're on. So let's talk about that for a second. Sometimes we hear, and we've got a lot of folks on, that listen to this podcast, Jaslyn, that are in-house lawyers or safety professionals, you know, directors of safety. We've got a lot of safety consultants who listen in as well. And sometimes you may hear from them or others that they're reluctant to hire an attorney for an OSHA matter because, hey, I, I don't want to send the wrong message to OSHA. I don't want the agency, I don't want the government to think I've got something to hide because I, I lawyered up. Uh, have you heard that before? I have um, on a number of occasions, particularly, for instance, when you're doing, you know, rapid response investigations and incident happens, you have to respond to OSHA and the client asks, you know, should we send it ourselves or should you send it? We're afraid if you send it, then they know that we've retained and, and sought advice from counsel. Um, is that going to be an issue? And my response is always no, it's not an issue. Um, we represent clients on these types of um, responses to OSHA inspections, um, anything in that area, all of the time. OSHA is familiar with it. And to be honest, OSHA has their own attorneys in the background that you often don't see. So if they're represented, why should you not be represented? I think that is such a solid point. And, and one of the key points I like to make when I hear that that feedback from someone is to say, wait a minute, OSHA already has its own law firm. It already has its own lawyers. And OSHA doesn't have to wait until a citation is issued to talk to them. They have access to them right now. And so if they've got access to good legal counsel experience in the area of workplace safety and health law, then why shouldn't you? That seems to be a pretty good argument with folks. And then they get it because a lot of people don't know what is the office of the solicitor. And so, you know, for, for the folks listening today, if you've never heard of them, I'm glad you're listening today. It's part of what our mission is, is to help employers understand better what their rights are and what the government can and can't do. And the folks advising OSHA on the other side, that's the solicitor's office. And what they say about themselves is that they, their mission is to represent the Secretary of Labor and all the agencies that are part of the Department of Labor, including OSHA. And they do it for all necessary litigation, including any kind of enforcement actions. So, of course, in OSHA, that's going to involve citations. But what I find interesting, Jaslyn, is they also uh, provide advice and legal opinions concerning all the department's activities, including OSHA inspections. That's true, Philip. I mean, what I think is important to know about the solicitor's office is, you know, what is it? Um, how is it kind of broken down? So, I mean, the, they are the attorneys for the entire Department of Labor, not just OSHA, Wage and Hour, um, and any other agency, any other Department of Labor agency you can think of. Um, there is a national office, and, and that office does um, focus on rulemaking and providing advice to client agencies, including OSHA, on regulatory and legislative initiatives. But you also have seven regional offices and seven branch offices. And in those offices, it's all trial attorneys, um, and they engage in litigation in federal district courts and before ALJs. For instance, if an OSHA case is contested and it gets put in front of an ALJ, the attorneys in one of those offices is going to be representing OSHA. 
And, you know, you sitting in Tampa, Philip, and me sitting in Atlanta, um, we, we come under Region 4. So it's always really, really important to know the players um, in, in the Atlanta regional office and the Nashville branch office, which cover that, that, those areas. So what I find interesting of what you just said there is that the lawyers, though, that work in the solicitor's office, yes, they might, you might have to cover a wage and hour matter here and there, but the folks that handle the OSHA matters in the solicitor's office really do know the law. They really are OSHA lawyers for the government. Am I right about that? That is right. I can speak particularly about Region 4 is they have a very high caseload when it comes to OSHA cases. No one is immune from OSHA in that office. If you are a trial attorney in Region 4, um, you are handling OSHA cases um, quite frequently. And so you're familiar with, with the law. Um, for other regions, um, I, I don't know about their caseload when it comes to OSHA, but you're always going to have a trial attorney in that office who is familiar and who knows what they're doing. Um, and so it's really important um, if you're an employer um, and you um, are faced with a citation or an inspection um, that you keep that in mind and think about, well, who should I have representing me on my side and making sure that they understand OSHA? That's something that I've always actually been somewhat pleasantly surprised and pleased by over my career is not just in Region 4 where, where we physically sit because we go all around the country in our practice and we have colleagues in our practice group all around the country. What what surprises me, pleasantly surprises me, is usually the lawyers we're dealing with in the solicitor's office are pretty good lawyers who know the law. And that's helpful, you know, because sometimes we need to challenge something OSHA has done. And it's very helpful, I think, to have someone uh, opposite us in uh, litigation over contested citations who actually knows the law. I think that's a helpful thing. Wouldn't you agree? I do agree. I mean, it's difficult to to work with someone um, who doesn't know the law. I think it makes it harder to come to resolutions. Um, and my former colleagues, as well as other uh, trial attorneys um, with with SOL who have worked with since joining the firm, um, you know, are so knowledgeable that when a case gets referred to them, um, sometimes you can have more honest, more frank, um, and more kind of substantive conversations with them um, that maybe you're not able to have with OSHA. Um, to get a case resolved once it's been contested. Let's talk about that contest. So folks that have listened in on this podcast before have heard me talk about this other agency called the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. And that's the agency we either call the commission or the review commission. But that is a, a separate independent body created by the OSH Act in 1970. It's not part of OSHA and it's not part of the Department of Labor. But it is the agency, the independent agency, that decides whether OSHA got it right in a citation. And so let's talk about OSHA. Let's talk about the Review Commission. Um, so when we interact with the solicitor's office, Jaslyn, it usually is after a citation has been issued and after we have filed the notice of contest, we then see an engagement, our engagement with the, sec- with the solicitor. So how does that work? What does that process look like? So once a case has been contested by an employer, the case file gets transmitted to um, the region that the case is in, to that solicitor's office. Once it gets to that office, typically OSHA counsel in that region will assign the case to a trial attorney or a senior trial attorney. And essentially that trial attorney is reviewing the file to determine strengths and weaknesses of the case. Um, And at that same time, the case file has also been transmitted to the commission. 
and uh, at some point is being assigned to an ALJ, an administrative law judge, and that uh, judge at some point um, after the case is contested will issue a scheduling order, and that kind of starts the, the litigation process. So does it matter who the solicitor is when they get assigned a case to, you know, we as lawyers representing the employer, uh, I, I find often that it, that it does matter and that we do care who that individual is. And we're not naming names at all, but there are some I think that we've experienced are, you know, I guess just like all lawyers, right? Some are a better fit for a case than others. Do you, have you experienced the same thing? Yes, I, I agree, Philip. I mean, I think everyone litigates cases differently. Everyone takes different positions when it comes to settlement, you know, what they're willing to do and, and not do. Um, and so, you know, what what uh, solicitor you get, what ALJ you get um, can definitely, you know, make a big difference in terms of whether or not you're going to be successful in reaching a resolution. It's my practice when, you know, when a trial attorney from SOL gets assigned or even an ALJ that I have not been bef- um, presented before, um, before or um, tried a case with before, I, you know, reach out to colleagues for some intel to see, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And so um, I think that who a case gets assigned to both within the commission and um, at SOL can play a factor in how you approach a case and how you approach settlement um, and whether or not, you know, you're going to be willing to get to um, the most successful resolution of a case. I think that's one of the most important things that we do with our colleagues is we send out those internal emails asking for feedback on a particular solicitor. We also do it with the administrative law judges, but that'll be a subject for another podcast. But with the solicitors, I think it's important that we uh, that we get feedback from our colleagues and that an employer who has contested a citation, you should know who you're who you're working with. You know, who is the lawyer representing OSHA during the contested citation litigation process? I think it does matter. And oftentimes I'm going to be doing this next week uh, on uh, cases you and I are working on. We've done notices of contest and we're going to have to update our advice to the client about what we think, uh, where we think the case is going because of the assignment of particular solicitors. So I think it does make a, a big difference who that person may be. Let's talk about that. So then the litigation process starts. The solicitor's office, their next action is to review the file that they just received from OSHA. And next step is to file a complaint. And then at some point, then that begins to really look a little bit like traditional litigation that a client may expect in in court with some differences in terms of it being administrative litigation instead of uh, civil court litigation. But what do you think is the most important thing about the interaction with the solicitor's office at that point is, are we trying to settle the case? Are we setting it up for litigation? Uh, or is it a little bit of both? I think it's a combination of both and and likely depends on the case and the client. Um, typically, my general practice is to, um, once we get a complaint, to file an answer. And when I file the answer, also file my first set of um, written discovery requests usually um, at the very least a request for production of documents and that way we can get a copy of OSHA's inspection file which you're not able to get before contesting a case. Um, so in that sense I guess I am kind of heading towards litigation um, and engaging in discovery but at the same time um, you know when I'm following that answer when I'm serving that first request for production of documents I'm also reaching out to opposing counsel to say hey is there any possibility of getting this case resolved early before um, our client spends you know time and resources um, fighting this thing. So what's interesting to me is that what you're essentially saying, Jaslyn, is a solicitor 
may look at the case differently than OSHA looked at the case. Is that right? That is right. I mean, I think that um, compliance officers, assistant area directors, area directors, they, they spend their time and resources creating a case file. They're close to the case. So sometimes when you get a solicitor who is seeing a case file for the first time with fresh eyes, who's not close to the case, and who is really focused on case law and, and identifying strengths and weaknesses, you might have um, had one conversation with OSHA and, and they were saying, absolutely no way, we're not amending this, we're not reclassifying this. And you have another conversation with the solicitor's office who ultimately has to be the one to try the case and they might see it differently and say, well, maybe there's some room you know, here to do this or that. There are some cases I look at and I just know immediately that we're going to have to contest it because I'm going to need a lawyer on the other side. And I'll give you an example of what you just mentioned was yesterday, uh, I was in an informal settlement conference with OSHA and OSHA's view of the case was different than our view. No surprise there. But the real distinction was scope of the standard and definition of some terms. And I knew that I was going to have to have the solicitor's office involved when the feedback from OSHA during the settlement conference was that, well, we're just focusing on the grammar and the semantics. After I got them, a bit of a chuckle. Yes, we actually do focus on the words. We do focus on the meaning of the terms. <laughs> Standards mean something. And if I'm going to be talking about the grammar and, this, and the details of the standard, sometimes I really do want somebody, I really do want a lawyer involved. So that's, that's one example I had just yesterday of what you're talking about. And so in some cases we see them when they come in, Jocelyn, there we just know we're going to have to have a solicitor involved. Agreed. It happens all the time. Um, and I think that a misconception among employers is that filing a notice of contest, um, you know, means that we're jumping right into litigation. But really, just because you file a notice of contest does not mean that you're not going to have several more opportunities to discuss settlement, it's just with a different set of people. And I think that's important to point out, because when you take a look at you know, filing a notice of contest. And I'll use yesterday as an example. We finished the call super friendly. I know this AAD very, very well. And it was very cordial. It was very professional. We just disagreed and we discussed, you know, okay, well, we'll get on our notice of contest and, and discuss this down the road. Happy to get the solicitors involved and uh, get a different perspective. You're not offending OSHA when you do that, because again, going back to the first part of our conversation, they've got their lawyers they don't think poorly on or, or look down to employers that have their own lawyers. I, just a side note here. One the experience I have had with OSHA in cases we've picked up from other lawyers is that OSHA does tend to get their nose bent out of shape a little bit when it comes to lawyers that don't know OSHA law. Um, and so that's something employers you know, really ought to consider is making sure that when you do hire a lawyer, if you hire someone who just does this on a one-off basis or have never handled a case before, that does tend to raise a little bit of, uh, raise some ire at the solicitor's office. Have you seen that too when you were a solicitor? I have, Philip, or I did, Philip. Um, I actually used to like want to pull my hair out um, dealing sometimes with construction lawyers or workers' comp lawyers who just did not understand um, OSHA or the, you know co the commission, the proceedings, um, and it was it was kind of like trying to work the case while also teaching them how to work the case, and it took you know way longer to get things resolved than it should have because they didn't have the proper representation. You know, I'll share a quick story about going into my, which I think illustrates this point, but I recently went into a, an orthopedic doctor to look at a problem with my heel, you know, because just having bodily problems as you get older. So a problem with my heel and I'm talking to the heel orthopedic 
and I asked him a question about my shoulder and he just laughed and said, well, I can't answer a question about your shoulder. And I said, well, why not? He said, I'm a heel guy. I just laughed. I said, okay, <laughs> kind of like lawyers these days, you know, we're OSHA people. I mean, it, it's that much of a narrow focus in what you do. And so, yeah, I, I've seen that too. I've heard from my friends at OSHA that, you know, they, they appreciate whenever we come forward because they know that if we disagree, we're going to disagree for a good reason. Uh, and the process won't be as painful as it might otherwise be. So I want to, we've got a few minutes left here, uh, Jazz, and I want to now shift focus away from the litigation part. And I want to talk now about the part right after either tragedy happens or an inspection has begun for whatever reason, and before a citation is issued. At that point, the solicitor's office is still available to the co-shows and to the, to the area offices. So talk to us a little bit about when you were a solicitor, how you would interact with the area offices before a citation was issued. So I will admit that interaction between the solicitor's office and OSHA prior to citations being issued and contested is is limited. Um, It usually occurs when you have maybe a complicated inspection involving a complex area of law. Um, I remember one case when I was with SOL um, involving joint employer issues And so we actually drafted the questions for a compliance officer to ask during his interviews. So that's one example. Um, Another example can be when maybe an employer has not timely responded to a document request made by OSHA and there have been follow-up requests and follow-up requests to the point where it is determined that a subpoena is required. OSHA would come to uh, SOL to basically review that subpoena before it goes out. And the same thing goes for situations where maybe an employer has prohibited access to a work site and OSHA has determined that a a warrant is required. They would also come to SOL for those types of situations um, and SOL would represent OSHA um, during the warrant process and application. I think it's safe to say that if an employer sees or learns about the involvement of the solicitor's office before a citation is issued, that's probably a red flag that things aren't going well. Is that right? That is absolutely right. Um, That means that OSHA probably has um, it in their head that they are going to cite you for something and they are building a strong case file backed by their attorneys. So if you hear or know that um, SOL is involved, it is a sign. And I will say, um, in addition to, you know, complicated inspections involving those complex areas of law, subpoenas, warrants. Um, Also, if you happen to be um, in a situation where you have a fatality, sometimes if it's like a case where there's a number of fatalities, OSHA may bring in um, SOL and and behind the scenes to help with that investigation as well, whether it's drafting questions to be asked during interviews, um, reviewing documents, things of that nature. Yeah. My, personally, when I see them get involved before a citation, it, it usually has been when it comes to an evidence preservation letter or a subpoena for information during the inspection process. That is most often when I've seen them. The worst case scenario that you and I personally saw in a case that we picked up after the citation was issued was, and we didn't, we weren't involved at that point, of course, but the uh, solicitor's office sent a solicitor out to work with the co-show to take depositions, uh, sworn statements during the inspection process before the citation was issued. And uh, and that case was difficult for us to uh, to have to handle at that point because uh, that, that has now established sworn testimony as opposed to just uh, informal interviews during the process. So 
certainly red flags if you see the solicitor involved at any level, but at that level, things are not going well. Safe to say, don't you think? Absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking of one instance. I wasn't involved in it, but a colleague of mine was where they were gearing up to do just that, um, depositions um, in an inspection phase. And that was just um, us gearing up to, to issue willfuls. So I think that if you are in a situation where managers are being sworn and um, depositions are being taken, um, more likely than not, a willful citation is going to be issued. Yeah, indeed. Good points. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up with some closing comments. So my question to you, Jaslyn, is uh, how has serving as a solicitor helped you now represent employers? What's the biggest difference? I don't, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot and I don't think there's a huge difference between representing employers and representing OSHA. I mean, the, 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 the case law is the same. Um, what OSHA has to prove and what employers have to prove to establish or defend cases have always been the same. Um, I think that one thing that has helped me represent employers is that I have built these relationships with compliance officers, assistant area directors, area directors, and solicitors um, during my time with the solicitor's office. And I'm able to use those relationships um, to get cases resolved um, and to work um, very you know, cooperatively with um, those individuals when I am either you know, assisting in an inspection or I am litigating a case. So that's been, I think, the one um, big benefit. Um, and another benefit, I think, is to this day, I still think like a, like a solicitor. So I think I see both sides of, of, of a case very well, and I can build what I think the solicitor's case is going to be, and I can kind of build my defense off of that. Um, and it's worked very well for me so far. And that is how we met, because you were representing the government. You were a solicitor, and I was a lawyer representing an employer or several employers, and as were many of my colleagues, and uh, that's how we started our conversation. So it was a pleasure to be, and, and I think it illustrates that we can have great, solid, professional relationships uh, with the solicitor's office, even when we disagree and we go all the way to trial. And uh, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose, but there's a way to do that where you preserve relationships and, and uh, provide value and really help safety, because that's something that I think my closing comment here is that we you did the same thing in the solicitor's office you're doing here. You're helping people have a safer place to work. And you happen to be an OSHA lawyer, but you're representing the employer doesn't mean you don't care about safety. I think it means you care more about safety because you've got an opportunity to help work with employers to make things better, regardless of what happened and regardless of what OSHA does or doesn't do. So, Jaslyn, thank you very much for joining me today. An awesome episode. I'm excited about getting it out there. And folks will continue on this year with more episodes about OSHA inspections, citations, and the litigation process. And we'll have Jaslyn back on again. Jaslyn, thank you so much. Thanks, Philip. This was fun. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.